In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey. I am Jim Hoffman, as always, your host, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and uh, just trying to talk about some EMS industry topics and things that are going on in EMS, and love to hear your views and your thoughts on what we're talking about, either in the chat room live, or you can, of course, call us uh, toll-free at 877-217-3924. Today's topic uh, is uh, a little kind of broad. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to, of course, remind everyone about the free webcast coming up, the webinar coming up over at EMS Bootcamp, and we're going to be talking about MCIs and lessons learned there on February 24th. That's a Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. So hopefully that's going to be a pretty good uh, uh, webcast. We'll be joined by Stephen Canarian of uh, LaGuardia Community College's paramedic program. He's the lead instructor over there, and uh, this is part of a, of a bigger series, part two of a larger series over there. So uh promises to be some pretty good stuff, uh, talking about MCIs and, and, and experiences that he has and kind of bringing a little field perspective to MCI operations and EMS. And um, I'm hoping that the content is going to be pretty good, always very well delivered by Steve and the attendees that join us on those webinars come away with some pretty good uh, information. Actually, you can get some feedback if you're interested, um, on the last one we did with Steve, um, which is Things You Should Know Partner, and uh, actually EverydayEMSTips.com, uh, my friend Greg Fries uh, did a write-up on that by a guest uh, that actually attended the webinar and gave his feedback on it. Some pretty good comments and some good feedback on that. So uh, go check that out at uh, everydayemstips.com. And, of course, this, that link will be in the show notes as well uh, on the main website, EMS Office Hours. Um, okay, so today, uh, just going to talk a little bit, again, about uh, how you spend your time with patients in the ambulance. You know, what are you actually doing in the back of that ambulance? You know, are you the type that uh, do you constantly reassess your patients? Do you engage your patients um, in order to give a good patient report and, and, you know, to the emergency room, the doctors, the nurses uh, that call in? Are you finding yourself kind of, you know, getting maybe a little burnt out, maybe a little uh, numb to the calls and kind of just going through the motions, taking those calibrated or visual vital signs and, you know, thinking about that cup of coffee you're going to get after the call is over. Now, wondering which type of provider uh, do you find yourself lean towards? Do you see a trend in EMS of, of people going one way or the other? Um, you know, come go ahead and let me know in the chat room what you think. Uh, call in, and I'll try to go ahead and get you in here, and we'll go ahead and get some discussion going. Um, and uh, the first thing I was, you know, I got a couple of calls online. I want to bring them in so we can get this started and maybe get some opinions. I have, again, this is the type of topic that can kind of go all over the place. Uh, I got some focal points. Maybe we can, you know, cut it down track, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes, and uh, I'm open to wherever this might wind up taking us. Uh, caller, you're, you're live. Who is this? Hey, it's Josh from Wantanoo here. Hey, how Josh. Doing, Thanks. Thanks for joining me again tonight. Um 
Uh, just talking a little bit about, uh, you know, what we're doing in the back of that ambulance. Uh, you know, Josh, a lot of times when we first start out in EMS, you know, we're all gun hold. Every patient gets soup to nuts that we can do for them in the back of the truck, regardless of their complaint and, and or how, how uh, you know, unjustified their emergency might appear to be or non-emergent it might appear to be. When we're new, a lot of times we wind up just jumping in there and doing everything we possibly can uh, for that patient. And I'm wondering, you know, what do, do you do? You think there comes a point where people start to try to, you know, kind of go away from that and start to fade away into the just kind of going through the motions and just trying to get through this shift and kind of get numb to you know the patients that uh, they're encountering that are really non-emergent and don't necessarily need everything we can provide. Well, absolutely. I, there, there definitely is a point when people just are either too tired or too disconnected. But um, I think a lot of that has to do with the type of job and the patient. I mean, if you get the typical, I, 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 I need to go to the hospital, my foot is swollen, then and you're thinking this person is sort of hooking into last week's conversation, does this person even need an ambulance? Um, you know, you're going to sort of go back and say, okay, I'm just a taxi, come along. But if right. you have somebody who's, you know, showing those uh, uh, tombstone elevations, uh, I, I think that you're going to be a little more on on your game, or at least you probably should. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes what happens is, is you know, we get numb to that. And I think for the most part, most providers, um, especially ones that listen to this show or that follow, you know, the websites and whatever, uh, they're EMS professionals. You know, they're going to they're gonna recognize when the patient uh, needs the care. They're going to recognize when they need, you know, uh, either advanced life support or the just basic life support. Whatever they're going to need, they can recognize it. Um, I think that the, the, uh, the line starts getting crossed, I think, is when you get the patients, like you said, that uh, it pretty much is looking for that taxi ride. Um, you know, and when when you get them and, and you kind of, okay, you know, I've had this person six times already. Um, you know, what's what can possibly change? It's the last four times I've had them, or five times I've had them, and uh, you know, sit in the back and start doing EKGs and IVs and you know, checking vital signs every ten, fifteen minutes and all that. Um, and you wind up doing those those visual vitals. And I, I have to ask, you know, is it, is it right to be doing you know visual vitals on patients even if we've had them? as chronic, you know, chronic callers? Um, you're going to have, I was looking at what uh, Dunley Brenford was saying, and he's been doing it for 10 years, and every call is a new adventure, and to give, he strives to give every them everything they need and deserve, especially when it's a four-hour transfer. And I'm sort of smiling at that. That's, that's you know, I don't think every single call is a new adventure. Uh, I've also been doing this for a little over 10 years, and uh, I've got to turn around and, and ask him, you know, how he finds that energy to do that. I mean, when – and I'm not sure I'm getting to your question, Jim, which is part of the problem here. I got distracted. But I was, right. thinking, of a, I was thinking of a call that I did couple about a year and a, two years ago now 
uh, about this time of night, I was um, actually, it was a little later, and I was coming home from, it was 11 o'clock, and I was coming home from a shift, and we were going down the highway, and I all of a sudden see all these cars stop, and I'm like, oh, crap, you know, whatever, it's going on. I stop my car, and I see this car that's bounced off both sides of a three-lane, uh, uh, both sides of the divider on a three-lane highway, and there's nobody in the car. And now, all of a sudden, the red lights show up. Other people are showing up. The bystanders are saying, one guy got out and ran, and they don't know what happened to the other guy. And we were looking around, must have looked around for about a half an hour when we went about 50 feet down into this ravine. Um, for people who know New York, it's off of the West Side Highway, just before the Hudson River. And this guy had flown probably 100 feet through the air, hit a tree, and then fallen 20 or 30 feet to the base of the tree. And we were finally found him down there. Let me tell you something. There wasn't a moment not a millisecond when we weren't trying to think four steps ahead and doing the first three, you know, to clear the board so we could get to the fourth. I mean, we were doing everything for this guy. And by the time we had him into the ED, which was six, seven minutes away, we had him uh, intubated, IV, fluids running. We did um, a rapid sequence or our version of the rapid sequence to get him uh, to because he was clenching. And, and let me tell you something, uh, there wasn't and, and a blood pressure and uh, EKG on this guy by the time we rolled in because we were thinking, the, the adrenaline was pumping and we were thinking those four steps ahead. Okay, what do we need now? What do we need now? What have we done? What do we need next? Yeah. Let me bring somebody else in here, Josh. I've been on hold for a few minutes. Let me get them in here and see if they have a comment what we've been talking about. Hi, Cole. You're on with, with uh, Jim. Who's this? Hello. Maybe I had him on hold too long. Oop. Hello? What? Yeah, hello. Yeah, who's this? Russell, that you? Yeah, it's, it is me, if you can hear me. I can hear you. I, was, I had another person on, on hold also. They didn't answer. Um, uh, Pottsmore, I'm sorry I didn't get to you fast enough. Uh, I guess he got cut off. Try to give a call back in because I couldn't get. I couldn't hear you when you were on hold there. Russ, what, what do you think so far we've been talking about? I, again, you know, just kind of there's so much we can do in the back of the ambulance for those legitimate calls, you know. Um, uh, but do you ever find yourself kind of going through the motions, Russell, when it, when it comes to calls? that you find yourself on those chronic callers, those uh, you know, people who have a chronic 911 finger? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, sometimes. Uh, it really depends on, uh, on a few factors like time of day. Uh, if it's 3 in the morning and they're calling for, you know, I've been sick for two weeks, then I'm going to be less talkative and, and more right. interested in, in finishing that PCR than... Uh, than talking about how their day's been so far. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, and I let the monitor do its thing, but, you so know. I wonder, I wonder sometimes, like, you know, a lot of people talk about burnout and, I, you know, people that, that wind up, you know, kind of cutting corners and not taking vitals and not putting EKG on patients and, oh, I'm burnt out, I, I just can't take EMS anymore or, you know, and, but yet they haven't really been doing it all that long. I'm wondering, is it burnout or are they copying those experienced people that they see kind of blowing off the run-of-the-mill calls? 
You know what I mean? Like it just kind of uh, following suit. It, 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 that's it, uh, the experienced person now giving a bad example to these newer people. You know, where does that example? Where does your responsibility? Let's say if someone been doing it, like you said, Josh, you know, ten years. Well, Jim, um, what do you say about the newer people who are copying the example? You know, you see somebody with a sore throat, you're not going to get. Oh my God, look at this! Where somebody brand new on the op, uh, on the ambulance, looking back to their EMT guide, say, "Oh, a sore throat. That could be the first signs of uh, a, a medical reaction. They could be going into anaphylactic shock." They might not be able to breathe. We've got to get you know oxygen on them, and you're going. They got a sore throat. Now, right. what part are they listening? What part are they parroting? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think part of that, I, I, you know, you can have make the argument. I think where you'll have people who say, well, you know, that's true. Maybe that sore throat is a sign of something else going on and, and who are we to we're not doctors who are we to judge we should be giving these patients uh you know the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise which that proven otherwise a lot of times doesn't happen until they get to the er and they get you know tests done and whatever to find out for sure um you know and, and it's kind of hard i guess to argue that without trying to appear like almost as if you're a skeleton you know, you're trying to argue that point. Well, you know, I'm not doing it because it's a sore throat. But then what if it's that one day where it's not a sore throat and it is something different? You know, uh, I think that that's fine line. I mean, I, I'll tell you a story. I had a partner, uh, you know, when I was a medic, and I was a medic for a while. And, you know, she was also a medic for a decent amount of time as well. And every patient, she'd sit there and, you know, justify that call no matter how nonsense it was. You know, putting them on a monitor and doing finger sticks and, and uh, IVs and everything for the most nonsense of patient. And I'd be sitting there thinking to myself, all she's doing is kind of reinforcing and justifying this person's call to 911. And now this person's thinking, okay, well, last time I called the ambulance, they did everything for me. They put me on the monitor and they did this and they did that. And then you get the guy that comes along that kind of half-asses the call and that person's wondering, well, why am I not getting the IV this time? Why am I not getting the EKG this time? I have the same complaint. You know what I mean? So where does that open us up to problems if we're not, I guess, um, uh, consistent, you know, across the board where everybody gets the same uh, thing, whether it's, even if it's nonsense, we have to, you know, continue uh, doing the whole thing as far as, uh, you know, soup to nuts type stuff. What do you think, Russell? You're kind of quiet over there. <laughs> yeah, you're too quiet, Russell. Well, you know, I think it really some of those some of those times it just uh, it just comes down to presentation. If you know one, if you know, like I and I'll I'll admit, uh, the first time I see you know somebody that that's you know usually the customer of another ambulance, then uh, usually the you know my index of suspicion goes up a little bit more. And then when I see that ambulance at the hospital, I say, yeah, we drink with that guy all the time. It's like, oh, well, uh, did you notice this the last time or, or things like that? And they say, yeah, they call for that all the time. So that kind of that kind of tends to, to lull, you know, some people and, and sometimes sure. myself into a, into a level of uh, – into a sense of false security. Uh, but it, so my, my index of suspicion really really is increased with, with presentation, not necessarily – you know, well, you know, if somebody calls and says, well, they did this for me the last time, well, that kind of tells me that you call a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of lower, if if anything, it lowers my index of suspicion. Uh, you know, if this is a if this is a chronic thing that you're calling for, 
you know, maybe this problem is is more beyond what we can fix, and is more more or less something that you know yeah. we need to move beyond. Well, you know, you make a good point, Russell, too. Like I've I've had that too, where I've had a patient that not necessarily the patient who um, is in my area or somebody that I don't really get that often, and I, I get them in the ambulance and I start finding things going on, or or I take them at their work. I never had them before, and then you get to the hospital and you see another crew there, and they're like, oh, that guy, I've had him six times in the past month, and it's you know it's always the same thing, and it's like you kind of feel like, well, okay, do I do I look like this newbie that's doing everything? You know, from A to Z, or am I the, or do I look like the, you know, the person, the the care provider that's doing what he should be doing in the back of the ambulance? You know, well, I I'm, I gotta I gotta take a little bit of uh, uh, side to that statement, Jim. It's not I'm not sure if we necessarily. I know there are some people who will slap twelve leads on a chest page, a chest page, a chest chest pain because. It's thank you. There we go. We'll slap twelve leads on a tw uh, chest pain because that's what the uh, thank you very much ch chest page. Thank you, Russ. Appreciate that. Uh, and because that's what the protocol says. The protocol says chest pain. You know, you do an EKG in twelve lead, and uh, you know they do that because. And then they, you you rip it off, and they're reading it. And you notice they're reading it upside down. They say everything's fine. They throw it on the side, and we transport to the hospital. And you know, then is that person doing it for what they look like they're doing, or are they doing it because there's a uh, probable cause of um, of a disease process here that they have to uh, identify? Yeah. Well, you know. So, something that I try to do too, you know, because again, I, you know, everybody gets to that point where you start, okay, you know what, I'm going to take take some vital signs or whatever, and and but you know, I'm not going to be repeating them unless something changed with that patient. I'm going to kind of, you know, just kind of guesstimate after that, um, you know. But it, something that I try to do, and I try, I've, I've talked about this in the past too, is that I try to use patients sometimes, you know, as learning tools, even if they don't know it, you know. Every patient can, can give you a chance to kind of fine-tune your assessment, fine-tune your vital signs, you know, uh, you know, be able to help you figure out different things you can do in the back of the end with how you, maybe how you lay out your equipment, you know, stuff like that. Um, and these are for non-emergent patients that, yeah, they need our transport, they need the help to get to the hospital or whatever, but at the same time, do, being able to work them up, uh, you know, just at the critical care type level, you're... you're fine-tuning your, your skills a little bit. You're refreshing maybe some of your skills a little bit so that when you get that call where you've got to do, like you mentioned before, stop thinking, you know, four or five steps ahead of yourself, you know, you, you, it's more fluid because you're, you're not getting stagnant just waiting for the real call to start doing everything. You're kind of doing it on, on, on you know, 80 90% of the patients that you're, you're encountering. You know it's, what I mean? It's kind, of, it's kind of nice for us because we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of active learners uh, riding our ambulances right now, uh, a lot of our our uh, our privates, which are our firefighters, are required to become paramedics in three years. So a lot of them, at some point, are in that are in that step towards you know getting that paramedic card. So they tend to think a little bit more uh, outside of set parameters than us. Right. So they they tend to want to do a lot more, which is fine, and, and it kind of helps me. 
and it kind of helps. And I know it helps a lot of my my other colleagues that are already at the level, already at that level, because they're thinking, you know, they're thinking a little bit farther ahead of us. So when we, you know, we load them in the back, and then they're already setting up for an IV setup, and they're getting in position, and then that leaves us free to do other things that we think are necessary, like right. uh, setting up that 12 liter. We're doing other things, and it's and it's kind of nice when we make the when we when we make a scene with uh, with an engine company that's got two or three of those guys, because now right. they're doing everything, which is, you know, kind of like, you know, I've, I've run a cardiac arrest where all I've had to do was innovate somebody and I stepped back and, uh, and the, the EMT, the, the, the technician stood, you know, did everything else. So I'm like, this is kind of nice. Yeah. You step back and you can focus on the billing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, Christine uh, Garcia mentioned that, you know, they did a, a shift of importance as far as getting billing info versus, you know, patient care. And that's part of it, I think, too, a lot of times that the, the pressure for a lot of people in different agencies gets so much that, you know, you're so worried about getting all the demographics for the patient and getting, you know, all their, their insurance information and social security numbers and date of births and, you know, proper billing addresses and all that great stuff that you kind of start, okay, you know, whoa, I should have done a vital sign about three minutes ago, but okay, I got to get this, I, you know, I'm still typing in the uh, the demographics where we can bill this guy and get paid and I don't get anything, you know, kicked back to me that I didn't get the, I didn't fill the billing form out, you right. know, and I, and I think that starts being a factor as well. Um, especially when people are trying to, you know, keep their jobs and, and keep their, their agency in business by getting them paid, you know. So it it, it winds up, uh, I think, being a little bit of a factor there. You know, she makes a good point, you know, talking about that. Well, how uh, many people do you think that are out there? Sorry, sorry, Russ, but how many people do you think that are out there that are addressing patient care because they understand that another line item on the ACR is going to be another billable item and therefore more more money to the uh, core which they work for? I mean, that seems a little that there's either a lot of uh, company love there, or there's you know, or they're one of the managers of the organization. Well, I don't think I don't think people are sitting there thinking, okay, uh, if I give this third, if I can just get this patient and give them this third drug, it'll be an ALS level two, and then they'll be able to build another another three hundred dollars. I think that what happens is is people start thinking, okay, um, you know, not necessarily how much is being billed, more along the fact of, okay, if I don't get this billing form filled out. I'm going to get it kicked back to me by my bosses, and now, you know, the, the patient care issue isn't so much an issue. It's more the issue of, okay, you, you know, you brought this patient in last week, but you didn't get their insurance information, so now we're not going to get paid for it, you know. Well, and you get called I, in the office to get yelled at, you know, for stuff that's kind of, you know, beyond your control. Yeah, well, it was that way when, I, when you know, the agencies I worked with had paper reporting because that was kind of stuff that the billing agents required. Uh, you know, it's far easier to do that with, with electronic reporting, uh, and it gets reported right away. And we also, there's also an option where, uh, where we can mark in things like, uh, self-pay or, or no insurance or other things like that. And then when it goes to the billing agency, you know, we, you know, a third comp or a third party does our billing agency or does our billing, uh, they just, they've, and we've actually heard this from the ED is that they just call the hospital that they were transported to and get the information from them. Yeah. And that's hard with paper reports. 
Right, right. I think that, that you have to be. I think that that's going to also depend. You know, that that's like a good relationship, I think, between the hospitals and and ambulance companies and stuff like that. You know, some hospitals might be more resistant of uh, giving that information out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, and 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 again, it's all about you know. Once the patient leaves the ambulance and they're out of our control, out of that spectrum of, of, of you know control as far as information and what's going on, then that's when the, the, the longer they're, I think they're, they're away from us, the the less information we can get and and the less follow up we can get. It's not it's not always true, and you guess again it's going to depend upon the relationship you have between your agency and the hospitals and and stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know again I you know I see a lot of stuff in the chat you know Russell about you know who's doing what and I, I, I just want again I want to I go, just going to kind of want to reinforce that I'm not referring to people who need stuff you know people that are listening to this podcast and that go to the, the blog and your blog Russell stuff like that they are doing the right thing for the patients that are presenting you know that need stuff after their their assess their patient assessment and evaluation and all that um, you know my my main thing and my main thing I'm trying to just try to uh, I guess bring to light is you know when does it become okay to you know take those visual vital signs when does it become okay to uh, just kind of focus on the paperwork on the way to the hospital and not so much on you know not so much on the, the that you know non-acute you know mm -hmm. um, uh, you know the one thing to think about too is that you know you it's kind of like the uh, I guess the oddity where uh, if you get those patients that okay I've had this guy six times and and uh, you, you just don't really do much, much for them you, you know you do the basics whatever you get to the hospital and they evaluate the, you know, the while you're doing triage they find out his blood pressure is through the roof or you know things like that and now it's like it's a surprise to the ER because that's not what you called in in your report and it's a surprise to you because you didn't you didn't you know check the vial signs you know more than once or at all on the way to the hospital. That's a, that's an excellent point. I mean, that, that really sort of hooks into burnout. And I think that burnout can be more than just a job burnout. It can be patient burnout. I've seen this guy five times in the last three days. You know, look, you know, here, I've seen, I've seen people, and I won't say medic or EMT, pull money out of their own pocket so they could take a bus instead of taking the ambulance and mark the job and unfound it, uh, you know, just because they've seen this guy so long. Now, granted, that was a much longer time ago, you know, when I had no control over what was going on, or maybe I saw it in a uh, another unit doing that. But is that a point that you can say, hey, you know, uh, you can get involved in, or is that something that, you know, you leave be? And I think what happens is people get burned out on on the individual patients as well as the individual job. We uh, I've actually got a funny story to, from the 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 years and years ago of, of of Memphis Fire and EMS is that they they tell a story and it goes around that there was there so it's not really a new story. They uh, they had a patient years ago that a guy that would call all the time from downtown and. Uh, the way they, the way that it's told is that they, is that an engine company, and an ambulance actually took up a collection and bought the guy a uh, a uh, bus ticket to Virginia, <laughs> and put him on, and actually physically watched him get on the bus and leave, and uh, 
you know, yeah. that was you know that was one of those back in the day kind of things like 20 years ago type deals where oh please it doesn't even have to be i mean i've picked up <laughs> patients i've picked up patients from on the train they were sick on the train we get there and the guy said the guy's talking to us and he says i don't know he says well where are you from and he's and he's from the other end of manhattan which uh for folks who are not familiar with manhattan a subway ride can take you from the south end to the north end in about 45 minutes so this guy took like a 45-minute train ride because whoever treated him, he said he thought he was going with the ambulance down when he first called for, uh, uh, you know, first called for his condition. And apparently they just walked him onto the plat from the platform onto a train and let him go. And uh, I'll never know who those guys are. Nobody will never know who those guys are. But I pick, I get their patient. So you know, there's that other end of that bus ticket, Russ. You know that yeah. sitting there, you know, waiting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they may pick it to Virginia. Somebody from Virginia might be coming back to you. Yeah, and uh, and that was something that and uh, there's quite a bit of chatting I'm seeing about 911 abusers, and you were talking about you know people that call all the time for stuff. Uh, they're actually getting ready to start a pilot program here. It's probably been in the news uh, recently. Is that uh, they're actually getting ready to start a pilot program here with an alternate response vehicle. And from the rumors that I've heard, is that they're going to respond to those uh, those uh, low priority calls and then determine if they need an ambulance or not. Interesting. So, yeah. What are they going to staff it with? Uh, that's the point of contention right now is that they're trying to figure out who's going to be on it, if they're going to staff it with extra people or if they're going to staff it with uh, an ALS fire company. So I'm, if, if any, if, you know, the discussion that, that we've had just between all of us is that I think we should put the extra people on it, but either way. But, <laughs> yeah. We, we had those extra people, but it would make, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's not like, you know, Cleveland, Ohio's system where those those lower priority calls if they're if they're short ambulances or if they don't have any ambulances available, they just don't send anybody. You know, at least at least this time we're sending somebody and you know, it's one of those it's one of those you know, it's a pilot program. It's something that, that they're thinking about doing but you know, we've have yet to see any result from you know i have a i have a point to make here i think that it's not a matter of our i it's not a matter of our jobs our, our jobs are as uh, as sound as the organizations we work for and we have no control over that what we do have control over is how we treat the patient and i remember as an emt you know this this grizzled old paramedic in my class who i said oh my god this guy is can walk on water and uh you know and then until he became my partner and uh it was um you know skin signs tell all Watch out for the drunks because it's the things that you're not looking for that will probably trip you up. And that's, that's really very true. I think that every time we turn around, we have to just sort of look at every patient, even if we've seen them nine times before, with fresh eyes. If they're frequent flyers, 
hey, you know what? We know them. We've seen them. We've taken their vitals before. We have an idea of what they look like. If they're not looking well, if they're looking like they're really doing worse this time around, maybe they need a little bit of an extra. But yeah. in, in the little bit, at least we have a baseline, which so many doctors have, have wished for. At least we sort of know what this guy or girl has looked like in the past. We could take a, a, a set of vitals and, and go from there. Yeah. We, we do need to be on our game just you know, for, for the start of the call. If after that it's just a matter of finishing our paperwork, you know, we know the patient's stable, we're doing what we can for him. There's, yeah, uh, there's, there's something I remember, and I'm, I'm going to add this in real fast, there's something I remember from, uh, from Phoenix. It's their, uh, their response, uh, I, I don't know what it is, it's, it's kind of like their response model, I guess, or their, 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 their response decision-making model is that, is that we will risk little to save little, uh, risk a lot to save a lot, and we will begin every response with on the assumption that we will save valuable lives and property. So I always I, I I tend to look at most most calls that we make with that we we will begin every response with the with the assumption that we will save lives and property. So that's that pretty much sums up how how I try to look at things from the beginning. Now if they're Presentation once we get there is, you know, as far as frequent flyers go, typical of them from what we've seen. Then, you know, that kind of ratchets down a little bit from there. But still, we should begin. We should be beginning every response on the assumption that we can save a life. Yeah, I think you're right, Russ. I, I think you know both you and Josh make make the good points as far as you know in, in the initial call and our initial response and patient contact and all. You know, should be dealt with as you know it being a, a, a legitimate call until proven otherwise. Until we're done with our assessments and we're done with our interviews and patient history and all that good stuff, and then we can decide on how aggressive or non-aggressive we can be or should be in the back of the ambulance, you know, on the way to the ER. You know, this when we give our report, we can give it, you know, to the hospital and the triage nurses and all with confidence that, you know, we did what was, was required for that individual patient. And you mm -hmm. think about even doctors themselves. You go to doctor's offices, the doctor's not giving a full workup for every patient that walks through his door. You know, some of the patients walk in, they've got the flu. He gives, you know, he doesn't even do a full workup. He'll just look at them, look in their nose, give them antibiotic, and send them on their way. You know, it's 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 not really that much different, you know, so long as you're doing uh, a proper assessment and uh, taking the call uh, seriously. Very good. So um, the only thing I want to do real guys quick, uh, got about another five minutes or so, but I got parts more on the line here again. I just want to give him an opportunity to chime in because I know he called in twice and the first time we didn't get him. Yahoo. Hello, are you there? Hello? I guess not. That name is familiar to me. I can't think of uh, that name, who it is. But uh, I'm trying to think who it is. Does that, that ring a bell to you, Russell, who Pottsmore is? Uh, no. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if it's a, a blogger or something. I can't, I, I can't think who the hell it is, but I've seen that name before. Um, so, well, if you, if you did try to call in, um, you send me an email, let me know if you have any technical problems there, and I'll try to figure out what was going on while we can get you uh, on the line. Um, Russ, anything going on with you as far as uh, the blog or anything before we head out tonight? Um, I got a funny commentary about a statue in Detroit. 
right. They they wanted to put up a uh, they wanted they're 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 looking to put up a uh, a statue a, a marble statue of RoboCop. Oh, outstanding. <laughs> Russ, why don't you put the link in the uh, in the chat chat room there? All right, I'll I'll pull it up here. Yeah, I'll put but, in the, uh, I'll put it in the show notes too, Russ. So anyone listening, they can always uh, go below in the comments and uh, we need a, we need check a statue. That out. Robocop. There's not enough for there's not enough for uh, about Hollywood out there. Uh, you know, Russell, yeah, Russell, you're, Russell, you gotta be careful. You're doing a lot of stuff on Detroit. You might start getting a name for yourself. You know, for well, that, that city. I'm also I'm also making fun of other people. So uh, <laughs> the question is, Russ, do you drive a Chevy? No. <laughs> now we're Josh, telling on you, <laughs> Josh. Uh, just want to. I know you you had a uh, pretty cool ad come out there at, on Gems for your wrenches. I saw that ad in the latest issue of, of Gems. So, oh, thank you. Uh, congrats on that. So, uh, you know, of course, you, you got just, that uh, TK three wrenches and TK mm-hmm. one two, of course. Um, of course, I'll put I'll put your link below the show notes too, Josh, and encourage okay. everyone to go take a look at your site and check out. Check out the wrenches there also. I have um, a on Facebook too. You've got Facebook. You have some actual uh, pictures of the ad. So if anyone uh, follows me on Facebook, they'll see it in my feed. And you can, of course, follow Josh at uh, Facebook.com forward slash News. You can follow him on Facebook also. You have news also, Josh? Uh, yeah, I just heard from Gems that they're going to use the new TK3 in their hands-on um, a section of new items in EMS. It's being written up in the uh, March issue, uh, and I was just told, and I've asked, begged, and congeal, and, and control. Well, the other word, and uh, they still won't let me see a copy of it. But uh, okay. I'm I'm trying my best. I'm going to be at the show, so anybody listening, please stop by my booth. It's 3541. Uh, want new, and uh, I'm going to be giving away a cool thing, couple of cool things like the EMS uh, version of Monopoly, and and a couple of other things. And I hope oh, folks cool. uh, come by. And I am breaking my nuts right now trying to finish all the little details that they want. This is like my first trade show on my own. All the rest of the time, I've been a guest where people have done stuff for me. Let me tell you, I don't recommend it for the faint of heart. Yeah. Russell, well, what about you? Russell, are you going to be at the show? Yes, I, uh, I'll i probably be hanging out most of the time at the uh, the ProMed podcasting booth. So okay. Oh, you're so lucky. Next. They're doing a cook-off right next to you, dude. And I think we're right next to the Gems booth, too. So Yeah. So oh, that, cool. that'll, that'll be a good time. And I'm always at hybridmedic.com. So. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make it there to the show. I'd like to meet you guys and, uh, you know, maybe get on the ProMed Pro Network stuff, too. I mean, I've got three of my podcasts over there, so I have to get in show face. So uh, i got you know, see if I can get over there. At least maybe just get there for a day and pop my head in. Um, well, guys, thanks for calling, calling in. Thanks for giving feedback. Everybody in the chat room, thank you so much for, uh, you know, chiming in and giving great feedback and keeping the conversation going and giving your points of view as to what's going on. Um, as always, if you didn't get a chance to call in tonight or uh, didn't get into the chat room for some reason, you can always post comments about the show below in the show notes in the comments area and, you know, follow up and talk about other things that we've talked about uh, tonight or any other night for that matter. Of course, send me any ideas to uh, Jay Hoffman at emails, uh, dashsafety.com. 
uh, for any future shows you might be thinking of. So, uh, Russ, Josh, thanks a lot for calling in. Have a great night, guys. Thanks. You, you too. too. Well, guys, uh, we went a little bit longer than usual tonight, almost 40 minutes, but we are just about out of time. So, again, thanks for joining me tonight. Um, you know, remember that EMS office hours, I'm here to talk about your thinking regarding the EMS industry. So please be sure to comment below on the blog at emsofficehours.com or send me your ideas again to jhoffman at ems-safety.com. Let me know your industry concerns or talk about a call you wanted, that you recently went on. I'll be sure to go ahead and fit it in an upcoming episode and share your thoughts as much as I can with the EMS community. So again, this is Jim Hoffman from EMS Office Hours, and as always, stay safe.